You're listening to the Mashup Americans. Hey, I'm Rebecca Lehrer. And I'm Amy Choi, and we are the Mashup Americans. Today, we are bringing you an old pal, Rain Dietrich Wilson. Oh, Rain. <laughs> we love that guy. Love, love, love. He is a child of hippies. He's a devout, devout Baha'i and a student of religion. And he's been a spiritual seeker his whole life. Rain Wilson is known for being one of the stars of The Office, but he also founded Soul Pancake and is an author. His newest book is Soul Boom, Why We Need a Spiritual Revolution. Fun fact about Rain is we went to the same high school on the North Shore of Chicago where he was serving at the beautiful Baha'i Temple in Wilmette. It's one of the major Baha'i temples in the world and uh, where I not being Baha'i, used to like to go and be in the beautiful gardens at peace. And then I would go uh, get stoned at Gilson Beach across the street. And as we <laughs> discussed with Lisa uh, last week, maybe this maybe this is my way of seeking. You know what? They made those gardens beautiful for a reason. For okay? a reason. Yes, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, we clicked immediately with him when we first met him years ago because we're all people who want to laugh, but also dig really deep and ask big questions of ourselves and the world and our spirituality and bringing people in and along for the journey and some kind of hope and optimism in asking the really hard questions. So we couldn't wait to have him on the show for the first time and talk about finding our spiritual paths. Love this dude. So here is our convo with Rain Wilson, seeker, actor, just all around goofy, great, fantastic human. So Rain, I think maybe our listeners don't know that we have the Mashup Americans have a long friendship and history together with Rain Dietrich Wilson, and I have quite literally spent hundreds of hours of my life just listening to your dulcet tones in my ears. Mm-hmm. My first question is, you have listeners? <laughs> <laughs> Rude. Boom. We have like at least seven. Mm. It's Rebecca's dad. <laughs> my dad is so supportive. He's a huge fan. He, yeah, very huge, supportive. Huge fan. Yeah. No, it's true. You mash up Americans and uh, Amy especially uh, guided me and Reza Aslan through that first wonderful, delightful, sometimes frustrating, sometimes overwhelming uh, season of metaphysical milkshake. Uh, at oh, Luminary, so and uh, mm-hmm. we got to have some incredible conversations, and we had never really done it before, and you kind of showed us the ropes on how to make a podcast, and we're so grateful to your expertise, your OG expertise in the podcast sphere. Oh, so fun. Look at what's happened now, Rain. Here we are. Look at we us. get to get my texts when I watch The Meg. Oh, <laughs> she loved it so much. <laughs> um, <laughs> she really did. I, I do think, though, that like... You know, one of the things we think about, and we want to talk to you today about, you know, finding your spiritual path and how to live like a deep spiritual life and sometimes what feels like a very, a world that pushes us to be super superficial. And I think one of the things that we cherished about our time working together and with Soul Pancake, your company that you started and the Mashup Americans, they really, I think, mirrored each other in spirit. Mm. Like, There was never any assholes. There was always big questions being asked. Everybody was so kind, like top to bottom. Like we're still friends with everybody that we met Mm -hmm. through you and through Soul Pancake. It's just, it was like so fantastic kind of all the way through. And it felt like that work and the company that you built and that we are trying to continue to grow our company is part of a spiritual expression too. Like it's Mm -hmm. more than just work, right? Well, what you guys have built with Mashup Americans is not just your podcast episodes or your different podcast series, but a community of people that are storytellers and um, uniters and, you know, social justice activists and people that just want to make the world a better place that are big hearted. And you guys are connectors. You know, you bring people together and get them talking and singing and working, et cetera. And that's what we tried to do at Soul Pancake. It's kind of 
faded away, unfortunately. But Soul Pancake was 12 years of that. It was Mm -hmm. good people trying to make positive content and make a real impact in the world. My book, Soul Boom, is also about making a real impact in the world, working with good people, big-hearted people, hardworking people that are ready to roll up their sleeves and build something because ultimately, don't just protest, build something. It's way harder to build something. It's easy to protest, complain, to send out an angry tweet, That's easy. Anyone can do that. But it's much harder to bring people together and to create something positive. So that's my lesson number one. What do you call it? Building a happy life? What's it called? Yeah, building a good life. Building a good life. Guide to a mashup life. But that actually, first of all, thank you for that. And I think one of the things that you did really, Soul Pancake did very beautifully and is very, very matched to us as well, is that being um, uplifting isn't about not having hard conversation. Yeah. We're optimists who believe that by confronting challenging things, we'll make things better in the future. Mm. And I think that's a very shared ethos versus like, let's either just simply avoid it or be very, very negative. Although sometimes we do shouty caps text very mean. Well, things. you need to have some sort of pressure valve. <laughs> there needs to be something where you're sure. like, what the fuck? And then, you know, you get it out of your system. That, that's just me. Sorry, did I just scream that? I yeah, did. you did. That wasn't just in my head. It's true. Okay, well, so I want to just talk about your beautiful book. You have spent a lot of your life spiritually seeking or trying to kind of figure out your spiritual path. And part of what you say in this beautiful book, Soul Boom, is this simple statement, we are all on a spiritual path kind of declarative statement, but that a lot of people are maybe resistant to. Why do you think people are resistant to this idea of I'm on a spiritual path or we all are all on one? Well, I think that people are resistant to that because religion has done so much damage in the world. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. most people have some kind of religious trauma Mm -hmm. in their life. And, you know, if you scratch an atheist, you'll usually find a very deep and abiding and justified resentment against their parents or grandparents or their church or their synagogue Mm -hmm. or their temple or whatever, you know, however way that they were brought up within a religious Mm -hmm. faith. And it's it's almost a it's a counteractive, reactive, knee jerk response to that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Not all atheists are like that but oftentimes when you really dig deep it it's that it's a it's that negative response to to a real trauma that we've suffered individually but we've also suffered collectively so so for a lot of people uh spirituality uh is synonymous with religion and they don't want anything to do with it it's interesting for me because i feel like spirituality and even to a certain extent religion is the is the possibility for healing and progress in the world. Yeah. But for mm-hmm. most people, and I mean really most people, and I'm putting putting evangelicals aside, just kind of the rest of like America, um, spirituality in a right. way is the problem, not the solution. But I'm trying to look, that's why the subtitle of the book is why we need a spiritual revolution. I'm trying to look at, at a spiritual solutions and spiritual healing. So first of all, you have to separate spirituality from religion. And the number two, what I know to be true is that we're spiritual beings and we happen to be occupying meat suits for 80 or 90 years on this planet. <laughs> and um, But our, our hearts, our souls, our consciousness, our transcendence, our our love, our beauty that we cultivate, the the glorious, divine, spiritual, creative, wonderful qualities that we all have, like love and compassion and kindness and honesty and joy, like these are all mm-hmm. part of our spiritual beingness that will continue after our meat suits fall aside mm-hmm. um, into incredibly uh, glorious planes of existence. I know that might sound airy-fairy, new-agey or or woo-woo, but I just know that to be true from my study of all of the great religious traditions of the world. There is some kind of version of that in every mystical transcendent um, kind of holy text. Mm -hmm. And also with that, there's like, I think uh, Americans are very literal. And as a youth, I was very literal. Like everything is black and white. This is what's bad and this is what's good. This is what evil and, you know, whereas this idea of, you know, 
end Christianity or some descriptions will be like, this is what heaven looks like. Mm. But what do you call him? You had such a funny description of God in here. Sky daddy. Sky daddy. <laughs> so, but like maybe sky daddy is just like how our cells at a, at a cellular level, we change when we love deeply or like mm. what over the course of our lives and impact other people. And then we keep existing through that. Maybe that's part of what heaven or the continued life for my soul continuing on is for me versus like Sky Daddy opens the gates. Although defending your life starring Meryl Streep and Albert Brooks. I love it. Classic. Oh, Brilliant. One, still a perfect movie. I think about the platters of broccoli covered with cheese. Oh my all God. The time. All the time. <laughs> um, and, and like also how he had this just like such a mediocre hotel. Uh, <laughs> like I love loved it. her. That was his redeeming quality. His love. I know. <laughs> well, so I think... This is super interesting because I've actually been having this conversation with my daughter who is almost eight years old. And she is somebody who I really admire because I feel like she has a really full expression of self. And I hope I hope that I can help her retain that as much as possible and keep the world from trying to mold her in a certain way. And she is so soulful. But we were trying to have a conversation about what is a soul. And she was like, what? And we were like, you know, like the thing inside you that makes you you. And it was just like blank stares all around. She's like, huh? But (laughs) what? And she's a child who she glimpses into the void, right? Mm. She has a lot of thoughts about death. She's had lost her best friend early on in her life. And she struggles with that. Like that's the thing that keeps her up at night. But in talking about a soul, when to me I see her soul shining so clearly, the concept of what that is is – near it, it seems almost impossible for her to like she she can't grasp it is there a way that you would describe that or like how did you talk to Walter your son about that wow great question i think for me cuz i know that you guys have done a lot of shows about about death and grief as well and I think that thinking about death, I wouldn't necessarily counsel you on having conversations about death with an <laughs> eight-year-old, um, although it sounds like she's experienced some, some you know, death tragedy in her life. Um, I know for me, like, one time my cat, Tex, went missing. And I was around 10 or 11 or something like that. And then I found Tex, and Tex had been hit by a car. Mm. And... It looked like Tex on the top, but Tex was obviously dead. And then I took a stick and I kind of flipped Tex over. And like the bottom half of of, of Tex had just kind of mingled into the dirt, you know, mm. from the mm-hmm. decay. So mm-hmm. it was like cat on top, dirt mm. on the bottom. Mm-hmm. And I was thinking about like, oh, wow, that's kind of what happens to us, isn't that's it? There, just, there's your dust to dust. You just, It is your mm-hmm. dust to dust. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And... It became very clear to me in a very small way at age 10, like, oh, that body is not Tex. You know, whatever the Mm. Tex was Mm. that I loved and played with and he was goofy and fierce and crazy and would run up and down the couch and tear all around the living room. Like, this was what held Tex. Mm -hmm. And I had that same experience, uh, which I write about in the book, when my father passed away early on Mm -hmm. in the the COVID years. Uh, He died of heart uh, failure. But... Um, in seeing his body in the hospital room and just having this profound sense of like, oh, that body, that's not him. Mm-hmm. That's not mm-hmm. him. The light within him has moved on in some way, shape or form. Mm-hmm. Like this shell, this is just a vessel. Mm-hmm. And so I don't know if there's a way to kind of have that kind of conversation or if it's too macabre or scary for an eight-year-old. I don't know if it's age-appropriate. I think she's into it. Yeah, I actually think it, to me, this is where, you know, if, like, religion is a sort of container for, like, maybe it gives you ritual or some framework, spirituality is what can happen when you actually go deep and get into it. Religion doesn't actually go deep in my experience. I love my religious framework as a Jew. I It works for me. But it's like if I'm at synagogue, it's like sometimes you're just like looking at people's outfits or being distracted by things. <laughs> it's not like that's not necessarily where I go the deepest with the tools that it gives me or the spiritual thing. But I do think that 
that to me, that's a lot of what religion does is like gives you some of the language to think about like um, what's happening to your body or that confusing feeling, you know, like what what mm-hmm. is this? What are we? What are these meat bags that we're in? Um, I mean, I certainly talked my kids have experienced death as well. And we've lost very important people in our lives. And it's a lot of like, even when we don't get into it in detail, it can be over uh, like, I'm sorry, I'm using my hands like up, up high, but it's like, they she lives in your heart and in your body. Like, like, you know, Omi or my mother-in-law, it's like, Grandma Chris is in your body. And they're like, yeah, well, Grandma Chris is in my heart. And then they just sort of talk about her, like mm. she's in their heart. Mm. You know, there's mm-hmm. a a way in which that has now just become true for them, hmm. which yeah. I don't I don't know. That's been uh, that's been very useful to me. It's interesting, though, because I feel like the framework that Gabe and I and Alejo, our 10 year old. Draw on really deeply and like believing in a spirit world and believing in this other plane. Fina has shut that down from day one. Mm. Like she'll whisper to me at night. She's like, Mom. And it's like a confession. She 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 wants to, you know, but yeah. she, and she knows that maybe it would be nicer if she could, but she doesn't. And so it's just it's it's interesting. Although she's like, I also think the Rain, most stubborn person who's ever existed. It's mm. true. It's because we believe it. She doesn't want to, which That's is fine. Correct. She'll find her also, own path. Come on. But I think that there's also like first of all, Rain, the description of you at the mortuary oh. and then running to Target in your suit. And sweating your face off while you're trying to find bowls. Well, also the, the also the mortuary <laughs> kitchen. I was like, you know what? You're absolutely right. I've never thought about a kitchen in a mortuary. Yeah. So, dear dear listener, uh, mashup listener, I'm a member of the Baha'i faith, and in the Baha'i faith, similar to Judaism, you prepare the body for burial, um, usually family members, uh, by washing the body and then wrapping it in a shroud or in, in a in a cloth. And very linen. quickly after death. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And so we had the body, we had the burial that day, and we were going to do that. This is in Wenatchee, Washington. So I was like, what are we going to put the water in that we're going to use to wash the body? And and the guy's like, oh, shoot, I don't know. And he had like a takeout coffee cup. And I was like, <laughs> no. And then it just feels disrespectful <laughs> as hell. And then he went back into this into this kitchen you know, and my dad's dead body's right there. And then he goes through a door and there's a kitchen. <laughs> there's a kitchen and a mortuary? <laughs> this is really freaking so gross. But I hear him clanking around. He's like, well, I've got a teapot. And I'm like, no. And he's like, I, I got a, t- here's a Tupperware thing. And I've got a Chinese so food takeout container. I'm like, okay, this, I'm like, I'm sorry. I've got to get a respectful bowl <laughs> to put the water in to wash my father's sacred, beautiful body in this time of tremendous grief. I mean, I'm so heartbroken at the time. I'm like sobbing my way through many days. We were very, very close, my dad and I. My mom had taken off when I was two years old. So my dad was my primary caretaker for my entire life. So I was very bonded to him. And so I, he's like, well, hurry, we got to get to the, you know, the cemetery by one o'clock or something. So I'm I, I'm tearing out of my dad's truck. It's a heat wave. It's 110 degrees. I'm crying. I'm sweating. <laughs> Snot is getting into my COVID mask. And I go into Target. I'm like, where do you have glass bowls? And they're like, aisle 27D. You know, and it's like, I have to jog like a mile through this Target, you know, past all the like, you know, uh, J-Lo athleisure wear, you know, and... Uh, and I and I picture in my head my dad laughing on the other side like this is brilliant this this TV celebrity son in this mask sweating his hair matted to his face looking for the appropriate glass bowl. Oh God! Is it from the the Heathstone collection in that section of? <laughs> totally. So finally found a bowl, got back, did it in time. But it was it's very I'd highly recommend it uh, to anyone who has lost a loved one, but to undertake some kind of ritual ceremony Mm -hmm. with the deceased. And it's really not macabre. It's very beautiful and cleansing. And it's hard. No, you know, don't get me wrong. It's, it's, uh, it's challenging. Um, and it's emotional. And a lot of people like don't, oh, they're dead. I don't want anything to do with them. And uh, just don't want to even see the body and just put it in or just, cremated and and I don't want to see anything but 
facing death is one of the great spiritual tests and great mm. spiritual inspirations, you know, and it's, mm. we're all going to die. You guys have talked about it and grief a lot. We did on Metaphysical Milkshake, Alua Arthur, was that her yeah. name? Mm-hmm. The death doula we interviewed. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so brilliant. But going back to your daughter, I think the other thing that I talk about a little bit in my book is, and I just love these conversations, is consciousness itself. Like to have mm-hmm. conversations with your daughter about, you know, consciousness, because it's called the hard problem of consciousness. Consciousness doesn't add up from a purely materialist standpoint. Mm-hmm. And I mean materialist in terms of believing that there is only matter and energy in the universe and there's nothing more. Um, th- that, you know, we have a 3D movie of our life, mm-hmm. right, Amy? Like, mm-hmm. we're going around, like, we're taking in sights and sounds, but it's like, oh, I'm in West Hollywood. I haven't been here in a while. And, yeah. and they're bringing up memories, and I smell a flower in the parking lot, and it reminds me of my childhood, and, mm. and I'm listening to music in my truck, and it, you know, it brings up this, like, the experience of human beingness mm. is this 3D surround sound kind of movie and, you know, hardcore materialist scientists cannot explain it from purely like the brain is a calculator machine and and all of this is illusory, mm-hmm. you know, right. including love, mm-hmm. which would simply be uh, the firing of certain neurons and the release of certain chemicals in your brain. That's all that love is. And I know that love is so much more than some neurons and some dopamine, right? So, yeah. and, and no one's going to convince me that it just is that. Sorry, you just have this computer <laughs> brain and, and that's, what, that's what love is. So, you know, maybe a conversation with her about consciousness and it kind of, that yeah. kind of leads to this idea of spirit or soul or heart or, or love or something or something more. Yeah, like how do you yeah. know the things you know? Like yeah. how do you know what's real for you or asking questions? Hmm. Yeah. Well, I think something also about that that we loved about your book, that we love about you, and even just how you're describing, like, getting to this studio today, which I would like everybody to know that we're recording at Invisible Studios, which is lovely. And when I told Rain that, great, you'll be at Invisible Studios, his response to me <laughs> was, well, then how will I find it? Yeah. You know, you can't. And if I your just... dad jokes, if the dad jokes are in your heart, you can't stop it. You can't, you can't stop, stop it. You can't. No, but it's your just, response it's... was like, well, it's at 5464 Gardner <laughs> Avenue. Like... I was like, I need you to listen to me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I do think that the beauty of being able to walk through life, being aware that you're a conscious person, is that then everything becomes technicolor. Sometimes I don't. I get too preoccupied with the, the gears twirling in my head that I don't smell the flower, even though the scent of the flower is right there. There are moments when I think we can walk through life just so high key focused on X thing that is not about our bodily experience that I think this practice of noticing or continually pausing is something maybe like a daily ritual or a daily practice that could get us closer to being on the spiritual path. There's there's this wonderful guy named Jeff Kober who teaches meditation in L.A. He's also an actor and he has a daily newsletter of his um, highly recommended for people to subscribe of uh, kind of Vedantic thought and Mm. uh, kind of ancient Hinduism, pre-Hindu philosophy. And he's told the story, I think, of a famous teacher who was studying with his teacher, his meditation teacher, spiritual guru, guide or whatever. And then he said, you know, hey, I'm I'm trying to understand what you said before about the meaning of life and this and that and that. And And the teacher turned to him and said, Describe to me what it was like when you put on your socks and shoes this morning. Hmm. And the guy was like, wait, what are you talking about? It's like, describe it to me. Well, I I don't really remember. I was like, okay, come back tomorrow. So he came back tomorrow. Like, I really want to know the meaning of life and what you said about this and the spirit and blah, blah, blah. And he's like, when you did the dishes, describe to me moment to moment what you did and what you washed. And he's like, "I, I don't remember. So it was always... In order to find meaning and bliss, you know, especially through that tradition, the Vedantic tradition and, and Buddhist tradition, which came a few thousand years later, but it's, 
you know, we always talk about this like being in the moment, but mm -hmm. that is a, a spiritual tool that can make our lives better and can make that consciousness that I talked about ever more rich is the noticing. And by the way, I'm no good at it. I'm not <laughs> speaking from some, you know, throne on high about this. I struggle with it all the time. He's, because flo he's literally floating in the studio. <laughs> <laughs> You know, but when I hear you saying those words, I literally find myself like putting my fingers like and like sitting straighter thinking about grounding myself mm. like those like what are your feet doing? You know, there's a lot of that like, oh, reminding yourself to be in your body. It's like touching the air or feeling what's around you. Mm. There's a it's such a good and it's also small versus like stand here for 15 minutes and make your mind quiet. I'm like, good luck. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, uh, let me just peel all my skin off my body. Are you kidding me? What are you talking about? Well, I think this is actually something that we think about all the time. And Rebecca has grown up in like a really rich tradition of rituals. And I have I have many that are cultural and many that are like kind of been adapted or that that my family and I have created. But what are your most important or significant spiritual rituals? What are the things that are part of your daily life? that contribute to this like expansion of consciousness? So I am a meditator. I don't really have other rituals than that. I try and find time in my day to be creative every day. It's weird because I started as just an actor and then a writer. and But I, I really think of myself as an artist, but I, most of what I'm doing is kind of like more like producing and like that's generating an content and, and stuff like that. And there's part of me that I just want to sit under a tree and write poetry. So the meditation practice is very simple for me. I didn't study anywhere. I don't use apps or anything like that. But I find that if I can have 10 to 20 minutes of stillness where I'm noticing mm -hmm. my breath and being present, um, it makes my day better in the same way that working out makes your day better. Like you don't mm -hmm. want to do it. You resist it. It sucks. And then you do it and you're like, wow, I felt 15% better all day long because I did that one sucky thing for 45 minutes. A hundred percent. And meditation is the same thing. Like we don't want to stop and have that thing. But trust me, uh, it will make your day better by 15%. Mm -hmm. So it, it's grounding. And I also couple it with prayer. And I talk mm -hmm. about this in the book because – I talk about how our country is so divided. There's, you know, I don't between... know what you're talking about, right? Yeah, now. really. Yeah. And <laughs> uh, I said in the book, and I really think this is true: like half the country prays and half the country meditates. Yeah. <laughs> if you're in the blue no. states, you meditate, <laughs> and if right. you're in the red states, you pray. Yeah. And you don't meditate. Yeah. But there's something about coupling those two together that yeah. I think is really important. And it doesn't mean you have to believe in Sky Daddy, certainly, but also you don't even have to believe in, in any kind of God as some kind of being. But, you know, Anne Lamott has that brilliant book called Help, Thanks, Wow. And those are the three kinds of prayers she describes. Help, mm. like, you know, help me. That's when you're on your knees in a crisis. Uh, thanks is just, you know, gratitude. And wow is just wonder, curiosity and wonder. Mm -hmm. And if you can just to the universe or to nature or to your ancestors or to the spirits or wh whatever it is, just, you know, a thanks and a wow, just some some moments of thanks and wow coupled with that meditative practice. The meditation is listening and the praying is kind of beseeching, connecting, mm. kind of, you know, picture a, a picture your heart as like a satellite dish and mm -hmm. it's receiving, you know, the the radio waves from the galaxy, but it's also beaming out radio waves into the galaxy. So some kind of even if it's just 10 minutes of mm -hmm. that in a day is kind of the heart of my kind of daily practice. That, um, well, I just cried, so no big yeah, deal. Yeah, that's so beautiful. Um, that was a very, um, very moving framework, actually, to even just to remind, you know, just to remind, like, help, thanks, and wow. But I know that's Anne Lamott's, but even your framing of the beseeching and, like, being in it and experiencing it and sort of thanking for it, that's, mm. like... Yeah, that's all I really want to fig figure out how to do more of. And when mm. having little kids, it's hard. And you're in this world, it's hard. And, like, I had an Apple Watch for, like, one week. And I think 
you're similar to me, it's not for you. Do not get it. No. Uh, because then you're just like, beep, boop, beep, bop, bop, bop. I don't, like, I don't and, want to text when I'm like playing tennis or something no. and my, my wrist vibrates. and like. No, literally. Uh-huh. And I was like pouring coffee, which is a very meditative, you know, those kind of rituals. And I was like grinding, the, you know, doing like a fully morning ritual. And I was like, remember to be present. And I was like, <laughs> I, what, this is so <laughs> fucked up. Like you just took me out of my presence. Sure. Like we get so into creating structures around it external ones instead of just finding the ones from inside which mm. i think is part of what amy and i have been seeking in the years yeah since we started mashup i do think that there's something about external ones and and i love how you write about it rain about pilgrimage mm. because i think as a person who's been like a constant slightly dissatisfied seeker my whole life and not I'm not a cynical one. I'm like, oh, it's there out there. I just got to find it. I got to find the right one for me. I spent a lot of my early 30s trying to, you know, late 20s. Yeah. Oh, God. Yesterday. Yesterday, Rain. (laughs) What are you talking about? What is time? But, you know, basically, as soon as I had my own money to travel, I was like, I'm going to go to these places. Like, I will find the holy land. And I think one of the things that I came to about visiting places like, Varanasi or Bogaya or Jerusalem that it somehow they were all had the same spirit mm. like the way that you talked about going to Jerusalem or being on pilgrimage and it feels like there is an energy kind of erupting from the earth and that these are the pockets and places where it's coming out and so people feel it and they go there and I do think that there's something very uh, specific about surrounding yourself and like situating yourself in a place where you are almost helpless against feeling the splendor and the wow. Hmm. Um, But I wonder like, you know, I'm in Brooklyn, New York, and I'm probably not going to be bopping over to the beautiful Baha'i Gardens in Israel anytime soon. Maybe I can make the one, I could make it to Wilmette. That one's also beautiful. That's my home Baha'i temple, the one that we grew up with. Right. But like, the way that we can find a practice, like the thanks, the thanks and wow in our daily lives, if we could just take like 10 or 15 minutes, can we surround ourselves with that? Are there daily pilgrimages we can take? Well, it's funny you mentioned that because I just posted about this. I, I started a soul boom Instagram, which has really kind of started to take off in a really cool way. And it's, you know, young people really interested in having kind of probing, meaningful, uplifting spiritual conversations. And uh, you wouldn't think you could find that audience on social media at all. But it's uh, it's been pretty good. But for me, every summer, pretty much I go on a hike in the Cascades, either mm. Oregon or Washington. And mm-hmm. I've done big ones. I've done eight-day hikes before where we've covered, you know, a hundred and some miles. And I've done just little overnighters. But for me, that's a pilgrimage. Mm. Those are the mountains of mm-hmm. my youth. I grew up in Seattle. Those mountains just mean a lot to me. I don't know what it is. Well, it's just the incredible beauty and ancientness and the trees. And and I just find that my year is not complete unless I've kind of made that pilgrimage. And I do think that like mm. backpacking itself is kind of a pilgrimage, you know? Oh, we're mm. going to climb Mount Johnson and we're going to go to Archer Lake or whatever. And, but that's, uh, that, that's what you're doing when you, when you go out into nature. So how do we bring that back home? You know, it's one thing Mm -hmm. to go to, you know, Nepal. It's another thing to go to Bali. It's another thing to go to the, you know, the Baha'i Holy Lands in the Northern Israel or, you know, whatever kind of pilgrimage that one, one goes on, um, or even going to, you know, Archer Lake on Mount Johnson or whatever, but how do you find that in your daily life? And I don't really have an answer for that, but I talk about how sacredness is something that we've kind of lost in the modern world and that our Mm. ancestors had, Mm. and our ancestors did something right. But for hundreds of thousands of years, we were, for a time, all indigenous people in uh, occupying our indigenous lands. And if you look at any indigenous culture, there was a sacredness to, mm-hmm. uh, to a rock or to an ocean or to a lake or to a mountain, to a river valley. And then that sacredness would be brought down, you know, the river that flows down from that mountain, from that 
sacred lake is is pure and beautiful and our ancestors drank from it and there's just that connection to the mm-hmm. land we've we've lost touch with in the crazy noise and static and uh chaos of of modern life i don't really have an answer maybe the mashup listeners have some answers about how do you find how do you find the holy and i want to separate holy from churches and relics mm. and altars how do you find the holy in the dailiness yeah well definitely all 17 listeners are going to have an answer yes it's oh, good. true but even with my four-year-old son we literally doing the stop and smell the roses so that's what we sometimes i'm like we gotta go we're gonna be late for school and he's like he literally be like well i need to stop and smell this rose like he stops at every flower to smell oh, it and i'm beautiful. like this is actually it this little boy yeah. with like all this energy and be like, I'm doing something right here where he's like, that doesn't really matter if the bell rings before we get there. What matters is that we're aware and experiencing the things around us. Even in the middle of a big city, you know, we are seeing these beautiful things and examining them. Mm. And yeah. that's one of, I think, one of the great, uh, at least with a little child, you could tell us what having a teen is like. Oh, but... my God. Don't get me started. <laughs> but the, I'm the... so scared, Rain. I'm oh. so scared. I do think, though, that that's what... Amos is doing or like maybe Rain what you're talking about is that we also imbue objects and rituals with holiness. Yeah. So it can be us, right? That it's not so much that we're waiting to approach it or find it. It's, oh, what is in our lives that we can create ritual around that is personally sacred to us that then we can start to see bigger and divine things in or gather around? And it's kind of one of the things like, for instance, I love in my own personal tradition, Shabbat, which is that it's like it supersedes all other holidays, even the most holy days. And Mm. it's the thing that happens every week. Mm. And so even if like Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, which in 2023 do fall on Shabbat, Mm. Shabbat changes those prayer because Shabbat has other rules and Shabbat happens every week. It's Mm. supposed to be a moment, a day where you you take stock, you let go, you unplug, you you have a, your Shabbos Goy turn off the lights for you, <laughs> uh, press the elevator button. <laughs> and I know many traditions have a version of that. Like, mm-hmm. you know, Hindu friends, every day you wake up, thank the ground that you're putting your feet on, you know, mm-hmm. and that it's receiving you and that it's serving you. And mm-hmm. I, I love that in, in your work, you are constantly being like, there's all these resources. I'm not just telling you mine. There's so much out there that you can can pull from and from your and your own wisdom traditions. And I, and I think one thing I want to get into, because you just talk, you're so casual. You're like, just started this social. And then I'm asking these people and they're young people and they want to ask these questions. It's like, there seems to be something holy also about making community and being of service to other people, too, mm-hmm. and not it just being your own growth, but actually how we then serve like a larger community. And I'm wondering how you're kind of thinking about that and wrestling with that as an artist, as a creator, as a producer, as a person, like when you're thinking about what your good life is and what you want to reflect on as you you know, as you continue to impact the world, what does it mean to build community and what you can do with that? Well, thank you so much. This is something I'm really passionate about. And the first question you asked me is like, you know, why are people like turned off by talk about spirituality or spiritual journeys or whatever? Here's another one. Spirituality in the United States right now, and this really actually pisses me off, it is incredibly solipsistic. Mm -hmm. Spirituality is often used... In a, in a consumerist capitalist way. I'm going to pay X amount for this app or this yoga class. It's going to make me feel more peaceful. My anxiety <laughs> will be more in control through my day. And then, great. So I've paid X amount of money and I have received X amount thing in return for my money. And then my day is a little bit better and that's it. Mm-hmm. Now, mm. there is some benefit to that. And, and I, it, it's important because if you are... You know, if you are less anxious and more serene uh, through your day, you can do more good and be a better parent. Let's say you can learn better at school. You can be, you know, better, a better husband or wife or partner to someone. Um, um, I like to be short tempered with my spouse and yeah, children. I've heard. Feels great. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yes. Um, but 
it stops there, especially in contemporary Los Angeles, mm -hmm. where, you know, in this kind of like yoga meditation land where like, oh, I got what I needed out of it. I'm done. Mm -hmm. But mm -hmm. the spiritual path, the spiritual journey, and you look at any of the great teachers, right? And you look at you look at the Buddha, for instance, like the Buddha wasn't all about like just overcome suffering so that you can just live a happier life. It's overcome suffering so that you can relieve suffering in others. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. So the mm -hmm. spiritual path is one of service and of community, because mm -hmm. that's the only real way to give service is to build community and do it at the grassroots. So I talk in the book about my two favorite TV shows of the 1970s. Yes. Uh, Kung Fu and Star Trek. And uh, Kung Fu is, uh, for those who don't know, is about Kwai Chang Kane and just super short thumbnail. You can look it up on YouTube. Uh He's a, a Shaolin monk, martial artist, philosopher in, in, in China, and then he comes to the Old West, and he is looking for his brother because he's been cast out of his monastery, and um, so he's being beset by all these racist cowboys and all these uh, terrible, aggressive people, and he's using his spiritual tools to kind of make his life better and kind of sharing his wisdom with other people, and I talk about that as uh, synonymous with a with the spiritual life that we all live as we walk through the world. It's like we're like we're all like Kwai Chang Kane, kind of seeking to bring kind of peace and harmony and serenity to the world and our wisdom um, as we walk through the world, and that's fine. But the other aspect, and that I kind of focus a little bit more on in my book, is the Star Trek, which is my other favorite '70s TV show. The original series of Star Trek to me is very spiritual because mm -hmm. it has to do with humanity has overcome income inequality. Humanity has overcome racism. Humanity has overcome uh, its connection with nature. It's we, we've found balance mm -hmm. and harmony and justice on planet Earth. And so then we're able to arise as a species mm -hmm. to the next level of where we're going, which is exploring space, seeking out new worlds, new life and new civilizations, but but also getting along, trying to get along with other alien races and the Federation and build ever more community as we go forward. And so we often don't think about spirituality as being this more in the Star Trek mode of like, how do we, you know, in, in the Baha'i tradition, the founder of the Baha'i faith, Baha'u'llah says, you know, let all men usher forward an ever-advancing civilization. Like, mm. that's part of our purpose in life is to help humanity grow, mature, grow more wise, and move forward. And there's tons of different ways to do that. It doesn't mean you have to go work at the United Nations or, you know, start a nonprofit or something. You can do it in your community at a, at a lower level. It can be at your church. It can be in your block. It can be your, you know, in your friend group. But we have a spiritual responsibility to give back, mm -hmm. mm. to use our our God-given talents and qualities to help other people, to help move them forward, to sacrifice, and that's mm -hmm. a key word, sacrifice mm. our time, our comfort, mm -hmm. our money, you know, even our prestige and our social status, sacrifice these things for others to uplift and help others move forward. And guess what? When you do that, you get even deeper serenity, calm, mm -hmm. meaning, yeah. peace, love, and joy in your life. Yeah. So win-win all around. But all too often, the kind of the woo-woo spiritual crowd, is it's just about like limiting my anxiety and then it stops there. Right. This is something that I loved so much in your book, and it's a question that I think about actually specifically in relationship to you a lot, which is you have in your book kind of like a litmus test question, which is like, what kind of old person do you want to be? Mm. And I think there's something just like, what kind of person do you want to be? What's the vision of yourself as a person? And then like, what's the, the path that gets you there? And I think as an actor and one that is so well known for one specific character to certain people is just like, you know, you mean that you mean it? the guy from the Meg? Yeah. Yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah. The billionaire guy, Jack, whatever is I can't even remember my name. Oh, my. oh, 
That one particular character. I laughed character. when you died. I'm sorry, Rain. I hope that your actual you just spoiler alert. <laughs> you just let out. everyone know that my character was eaten by a prehistoric shark, <laughs> megalodon, a megalodon bitten in half. <sighs> Amy got high as hell and loved that movie. Yeah. <laughs> but um, I think something that that mashups definitely struggle with because we're presented this many times, like immigrant kids, this vision of who you should be to achieve, right? What is a picture of successful? What does it mean to achieve an American dream, for example? Mm. And it puts you into a box or there are very specific kind of archetypes or like roles that you're supposed to play. Mm. And I think... You have been, as an artist sometimes, you know, like put into a box. And yet I admire you so, so much because at least in all the time that we have known you and that the people that love you have known you, you have always been you. Like clearly evolving and growing, but you're not. A lot of people are very different in different situations and you are Rain. And I think that that is amazing. That's a kind of achievement that not a lot of people that have a lot of eyes on them are able to hold on to. That's something that everybody struggles with. Not just what kind of person do you want to be, but how do you hold on to your unis or like your spirit when maybe the world is and like capitalism and white supremacy and all those things are trying to mold you into something that you are not mm-hmm. or trying to get you to be something that you are not when maybe your spiritual path is going in a different direction. Mm-hmm. Wow, that's such a good question. I don't even feel qualified to to really answer that. You know, it this has been a long uh, journey. It's it's isn't it a journey towards authenticity? Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. finding your authentic voice. Um, in in my other book, The Bassoon King, I tell this story. But one of the greatest failures I had is one of my greatest successes. And I think mm. I don't think there really is such a thing as failure because. Um, I got cast in a lead role in a Broadway play, and I was pretty young. I was, I don't know, 29 or 31 or something like that. And this was a huge opportunity for me. I was really struggling as an actor. And I got so nervous, overwhelmed about, you know, being the this kind of right kind of conservatory actor, and I needed to be handsome and charming and I needed to do this and that and maybe I could get a good New York Times review and maybe I could sign at the William Morris Agency and I felt all this pressure and and I got really stuck in my head and needless to say long story short I sucked hmm. I was terrible hmm. and there is there are very few things worse than knowing that you as an actor <laughs> than knowing that you suck in a play and you've got to do it for four or five months eight shows a week and it was excruciating. I was sobbing yeah. on the phone to my wife, who was off in graduate school at the time, and I was just, it was awful, just awful. And when I finished that play, and I did get terrible reviews, and people <laughs> didn't like it, and I wasn't very good, and uh, I got out, I'm like, never again. I'm never doing that again. I'm never going to try and please other people, do things for other people, try and be someone that I'm not. I need to embrace yeah who I am, I'm quirky and I'm weird and I'm ungainly and I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm not gainly, okay? <laughs> Certainly not gainly. So I'm going to, you know, who is that Rain Wilson-ishness? And I just embraced it after that point and I, I don't believe that I would have gotten the role of the guy in the Meg, no, I'm kidding, of Dwight <laughs> in the office had I not... Um, kind of bombed on Broadway and mm, and sucked yeah. and felt pressured and to be something that I wasn't. And it was excruciating for months. It was mm. awful. I remember one time I was get they were like, you know, half hour, please, is your half hour call ready for a show? And I happened to pick up the Village Voice and I was just kind of thumbing through it and I just happened no. to thumb it open and there, boom, was a review of the show. <laughs> And it was a scathing review of the show and of me. Was it and Michael said, Musto? It was, uh-huh. yeah. And just like <laughs> he would, that guy. he would. He was. It was scathing, and and they're like, okay, places, please. And uh, <laughs> I didn't mean to read it. It just was, and it was. Oh, it was so awful. But I'm so grateful for that because it just allowed me to be myself. So, but there's you know more struggles than that. A lot of therapy. Hello, mm-hmm. you know, being in recovery has helped because. I'm just trying to, you know, trying to be a more more in alignment with the with the great cosmic spirit of the universe. That helps as well. 
Well, Rain, you're an inspiration. Oh, stop. I think you are very gainly, Rain. Very gainly. Just the ultimate yeah, gainly. The most gainly. I do think for us, we're trying to envision the world that we want and then figure mm-hmm. out the paths to, like you're saying, not just protest. That's the first step. But then carve out and plan and be strategic about making that world happen. This also feels like an act of protest, soul boom. Mm. It's like you're you're stating this is these are some of the things I see that are stressing me out. This is some of the problems I see. And then here are some solutions I'm offering. How are you seeing your next moves in there? Like mm. what's coming from this for you? So my next work, I think, and where I'm hearing the most outcry is like spiritual tools for the mental health epidemic. Yeah. Like how can we draw from the world's great spiritual traditions to find healing remedies for for us in a in a in a really uh, dark time. Rain, it's always just heartening to know that there are so many good people out there doing good work and thinking about how they can help. And I think as far as us thinking about what it means to make a good life, what is the ultimate guide and tips for a fantastic, spiritual, alive life? Yeah. Like that has to be one of them. And so we're just so happy that you were able to come and talk to us about it. And what you just expressed was gratitude. Oh, and gratitude Mm. is a great superpower to harness. I'm sure you've been talking about it on your show. And I am grateful for you two for all the wonderful help and guidance and light and fun we had with Metaphysical Milkshake back in the day. And so nice to see you both and be in the studio with you. It's a delight. A delight. Grateful. We are grateful. Thank you to Rain for always just going there with us. This conversation and each of these conversations this season are part of the way we are finding our own path to spirituality and community. And it's just so nice to have so many people with us and along for the journey all together. Yeah, it really feels good. I think that maybe that's what he was talking about. <laughs> Doing it feels good. Doing I don't know. <laughs> also laughing till we snort because this feels like a critical part of our spiritual path. Oh my gosh, does it ever the most. <laughs> Next week, we are so excited for Jonathan Menjivar, our Salvadoran Angelino Compadre, who is going to talk with us all about money and class and guilt gets awkward, gets tender. We're so excited to dive in with all of you. Make sure to catch the rest of The Ultimate Guide to a Mashup Life every week this fall and like and follow the Mashup Americans wherever you get your pods. And tell your friends! And if you haven't signed up for the newsletter, do it. MashupAmericans.com slash subscribe. Love you! This podcast is a production of the Mashup Americans. It is executive produced by Amy S. Choi and Rebecca Lair. Senior editor and producer is Sarah Pellegrini. Production manager is Shelby Sandlin. Thanks to DJ Rob Swift for our theme song, Salsa Scratch. Additional engineering support by Pedro Rafael Rosado. Please make sure to follow and share this show with your friends. Bye.